0: Let me give you a little bit of a ministry report. Um, I appreciate this church and your faithfulness in supporting me in my ministry to chaplains and recruiting chaplains. I have four things that I try to do. I catch, which means recruit people to become chaplains. I credential, which means helping them get the credentials that they need to work as a chaplain through endorsement, sometimes CPE, sometimes board certification, I care for, I minister to, I'm the chaplain to the chaplains. I go around and, and try to support them, talk to them on the phone, email, pray for them. And then and then me and the rest of our organization covers. In other words, if there are religious liberty issues that come up uh, in the work of a chaplain, as some things have occasionally hit the news, especially with military chaplains, there are also those issues with civilian chaplains uh, that we are prepared to come uh, with uh, beside them with the full force of the denominations that, that com- comprise the PRCC, the largest being PCA, uh, so that we can help defend them in their religious liberty rights. Hazel and I just got back Friday evening from a two-week trip. Uh, our first stop was Bentonville to see our son and help him move in. He'd been in a new place for about a week. Uh, and then we went to see Hazel's aunt and then... Alito, Illinois. Darren and Jan say hi to Laura and Aaron. That caught all of us by surprise. Uh, does anyone know where Alito, Illinois is? You can't get there from anywhere. I mean, it's uh, it's a great little place. That's where you guys got married, I think. Is that right? And the church and the old church. Have you seen the new church yet? The new church is really excuse us while we have this. Uh, personal <laughs> conversation here, uh, but it was, uh, but my, my wife and I had an opportunity to have lunch with Darren and Jan. Darren is a full-time pastor at a church, a PCA church in Alito. and uh, it's a historic church, been there for a good while, and he's also the fire department chaplain, so he serves that community as a, as a chaplain to the fire department. From there, we went to Minneapolis, and just north of there is a the Federal Bureau of Prisons chaplain. We had dinner with with him and his wife, and then to Wisconsin to see another Federal Bureau of Prisons chaplain uh, and his wife, and then to the Chicago area. We did have a little personal break uh, to see Hazel's aunt in uh, in the Chicago area. Then to Indiana, South Indiana, we went and stayed in Munster, Indiana, uh, and went to a church in Lansing, Illinois, which was a, a real blessing. And then I visited a chaplain and his wife uh, in Munster, and then went to Dyer, uh, Dyer Indiana, to visit Mid-America Reform Seminary. It's part of my recruiting and trying to get students and, and others interested. From there, I went to St. Louis, uh, saw, let's see, one, two, three, four chaplains. Uh, the fifth one was not available. Uh, and then from there to Farmington, Missouri, saw a chaplain there, and then Paducah, Kentucky, and then back. And I got to drive the whole way. Hazel always holds that against me, but I love driving. So uh, the Lord is doing wonderful things in the lives of our chaplains. Uh, Incredible ministry, and I thank you for allowing me to be a part of their lives and reaching out to more to try to help bring them in. But it was interesting, as we look at the the passage this morning, on uh, Monday I got an email from Heath saying, you are coming, right? And I said yes. And he said, Well, by Tuesday morning, if you could give me your sermon text and title. Well, Monday, as we're on the road to somewhere, I don't know, right in front of us is a big semi trailer and it says Romans 15 13. I said, Well, God must be speaking to me. <laughs> And in fact, it looked like all the dirt had been wiped off so you could read it. You know how those trailers are. Um, and so Hazel got out her phone and she read it. And I said, yeah, let me think about that for a little bit. Because I was thinking about the idea of belief anyway. Because what has struck me uh, biblically is our, what I try to do is read through the, the scriptures on a certain pattern. And I'm back in Genesis, uh, the account in Genesis uh, Fifteen, where God reminds Abraham of the of the calling before he becomes Abraham, Abram uh, of the calling and the of the covenant, and it says that and Abraham believed God, and so I, I both of these working together uh, brought me to the to the context of this sermon. So let me begin by reading this passage and then asking God's blessing upon our time. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power, its might, its clarity. Lord, we thank you for the impact that it has on our hearts and minds and in our lives. And Lord, we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would take this passage and the other passages we will look at today and the the words of my mouth and bless them to your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. See, already I need the water, thank you. Well, this side is well represented this morning. This side's a little weak. People gone on, on trips or whatever it might be. Uh, but that's okay. I will occasionally look your way. Uh, just, but I'm going to mainly focus on these guys. No, just, just kidding. Um, but, but truly, the idea of believing is one that, that we take for granted when we think about our faith, our Christianity, our walk with the Lord. We just kind of believe, whatever that means. And to to read this passage, which comes at the end of a section in Romans where Paul is talking about distinctions and differences. Some people are weaker and some people are stronger and some people hold to certain doctrines that are different than the other people hold. that, That there are differences, even in the Christian church, about what people think and what they believe. But there are some things that are common. There are some things that are essential for anyone to be named and to be called a Christian. Basically a credible profession of faith that Jesus Christ is God's son. He died upon the cross, which we will remember and celebrate with the Lord's Supper. And by doing so, he took our sin, my sin, your sin, the sins of all his people were placed upon him and he received the punishment that we deserve. And then by his shed blood, we are cleansed and washed and made acceptable in God's sight. It's by Christ alone. I love that hymn. In Christ alone, that these things have happened and in whom we believe by the work and the power of God. In many ways, the Apostles' Creed is the, the clearest expression in a nutshell of some of the essential things of the faith. So as we can all come together around that, that's what binds us together. We may differ on how we celebrate or understand communion. We may differ on how we do baptism. We may differ on our forms of government. We may differ on whether we wear jackets and ties to preach or just knit shirts You know, we may differ in the style of music we use to worship, but there are some things that hold us together. This passage, at the end of this section, I think is meant by Paul to pull all these different groups together and to give them a laser focus on something that is key and critical to their lives as they believe together the essential things of the faith. And so the first phrase may the god of hope fill you leads to if you if you skip the second line with all joy and peace in believing so that his goal is so that by the power of the holy spirit you may abound in hope. Hope is critical. Hope is necessary in order to continue to live the life that we have in Christ. Hope that our sins are indeed forgiven. This is a reminder. It's something that is essential. People are weak, and people forget, and people go away from those things unless you are constantly doing them, constantly remembering them. I have no idea what your names are. (laughs) By and large, when people come up and talk, I go, yes, how you doing? I'm going. Is that Glenn? Is that Bill? Is that Bob? Is that Ron? Who is that I'm talking to? You know, I know the names, I know the faces, and so, you know, I generally know you guys. But a lot of times, if you see a deer in the headlight gl- glare, it's because I'm in the moment and I cannot put a name to your face. But I recognize your face, but if I were here all the time. I would know you. I'd get to know you. And I'd know your names. i know your children's names. i know your grandparents' names, probably. You know, I would get to know you well. If we aren't walking constantly in the faith, we forget the things of faith. Reading the scriptures over and over again. Singing the hymns over and over again. Participating in the Lord's Supper over and over again are great reminders of the truths of God the promises of God, the truths of the scripture that are critical for us to know and to, and to believe and to hold on to. In the Old Testament, if you remember, part of the issue with the Israelites as they left Egypt, when they went into the promised land and then the book of Judges, we see that basically everyone forgot the things of God. It was not passed on, the things of faith were not passed on to the next generation, and then everyone did what was right in their own eyes instead of following the things of God. So it's important to be reminded of these truths. And so Paul is helping us with this with this passage. I have paraphrased this verse, and I'm going to kind of walk our way through that uh, to help you understand that. You can try to write it down if you want to. I think this is probably being recorded, and maybe you can can pick up with it a little bit later. But this is how I would paraphrase this verse. As we are about the ongoing practice, habit, and lifestyle of believing, exercising our faith right now, the tenses of the verbs and the way that the language is there, that basically Paul is saying, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, however strong your faith is, however weak your faith is, in whatever stage of life you may be, where you are right now, exercising faith, this is a message for you. This is a message to strengthen you, to help you, to guide you. This is a message for you in your act and in your life of believing. Right now, contemporaneously. This is not looking backwards. This is not looking forward. This is looking at the present. And I think we all need help with the present. We can look back and see the faithfulness of God and say that's a wonderful thing and I praise God for how that event worked out in my life, for how he led me in this direction, how he provided for me in that way. We can look forward as we look at the table and know about the coming presence of Christ with us and us with him, that the future is going to be okay, by and large, especially the eternal future will be okay. We don't know what tomorrow will bring or the next day or next year. There may be some uncertainty there. But we know that eternity and an eternal future, it is indeed secure. We know who the victor is. We know who wins. And we can draw strength and, and comfort from that. But it's the right now that is often the challenge. It's the right now that, that's, that, that causes us to struggle, that causes us to forget, to causes us to wonder about the things of the scripture and the things of God and the things of faith, whether they are genuinely true. Even though faith is imperfect, where we are right now, we have at least a grain of mustard seed of faith. Or you might not be in this church today. There may be some of you who are here because you've been coerced to be here, perhaps. Are you're not sure and you want to know more. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons why people come to church. Most of the people here come to church to hear about God and to worship him. And so you're here because you have at least a small amount, a dusting of mustard seed faith, and you know a little bit. You know enough that you want to know more. So even faith that is imperfect is being addressed here by Paul. In Genesis 15, which is the account I mentioned earlier, let me read some of that. If you want to turn there, uh, you may. Genesis 15. I'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Let me pause there. Abram was expecting... A heritage, a lineage coming from his body. His kin would go on and on and would be as numerous as the stars. There was something about the promise of God that was not fulfilled at that moment. And Abram, I think, was a little shaky on his faith. God is saying, Fear not. I am your shield, and your reward will be great. And Abram's going, I don't quite see that, God. I don't don't see that right now. I don't understand how this is going to work out. He was 75 years old when he first went into the promised land. He was probably about 87 years old when, um, oh my, I'm drawing a blank now, Ishmael was born. So somewhere in that process between 75 and 87, God is talking to him here, most likely closer to the 75 age. It might have been 77, 78, and there's no heir. There's no fulfillment of the promise. Aren't we all a little bit like that? That we have an expectation of God's promises to be fulfilled when it's convenient and expeditious for us. When we feel like we need it, when we want it, when we're struggling to take away the struggle. When we're sick to take away the sickness. When we are wrestling with the things of life around us and we want things to be smoother. When we're wrestling with our kids going wayward or not going wayward or... Whatever it might be, we don't see God at work. And our faith, our believing may be a little bit shaken. Picking back up in 15.4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, this member of your household, shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And then verse 6, And he believed the Lord. And God counted it to him as Righteousness. God reminds him of the promise, reaffirms the promise, brings him back to that understanding of what is going on here, who God is and what God is doing and the role that Abram plays in that. And and Abram, though his faith is a little shaky because he's not quite seeing it come out the way he thinks it ought to be coming out, hears God remind him again of who he is and what the promise is all about, and Abraham believes. That's a powerful thing. Because I think that all of us struggle with whether we believe God or not. Whether we believe the promises or not. We struggle with this. We wrestle with this. A passage that, that I think maybe will help us with this is, the, is strangely enough, perhaps, in, in your mind... Matthew 13, where Jesus explains the parable of the sower. Because I think this parable describes for us the struggles of faith that we wrestle with as we try to hold on to believing in Christ. Beginning at verse 18 of Matthew 13. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And does not understand it. Let me pause there. That's part of a struggle. We may hear something from God. We may look at those promises. We may see the work of Christ. But we don't really understand it. Does anyone really understand what it's like? What it means? That all your sin was placed on Jesus. How did that happen? How did that work? That's a mystery. That's a mighty work of an almighty, eternal, boundless God who can do all things. With God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible. And by His holy decree, by the power that is His that has been his forever and ever and ever with no limit, he judiciously said, your sin and my sin were placed on Jesus when he was on the cross. I accept it. Do I understand it? Maybe not. Maybe to a certain degree. Maybe in a limited way I understand it. But when we look at the other passages of Scripture that tell us that in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's a comfort, but why do I have to go through the tribulation? Why do I have to understand the pain? Why do my sufferings have to take place because Christ suffered? I don't understand all these things. And it may well be it's because we're not good students of the Word. So often... We misapply, we misunderstand, and we overlook key things about the scripture because we don't study it. And therefore that can lead us to being deceived. So when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along the path. And so the, the devil's at work here. Challenging God's word. Oh, did God really say you can't eat of that fruit? You can't touch it? Did he really say that you're going to die? Oh, you won't die. Calling into question the very word of God, the evil one, works against us understanding it and applying it. And so we have an adversary who is the father of lies. And in the midst of our daily living, we are bombarded by lies. Did Jesus really die for you? Can he really forgive that sin of mine? Is he really going to accept me into heaven? If I decide that I want to follow the messages of the scripture about what marriages are supposed to be like, that I am, as a husband to love sacrificially my wife and my wife is to submit to my godly leadership as if she was submitting to Christ and I'm supposed to be Christ-like in that and how I love her or am I just going to do it my way? And the adversary will say, just do it your way because those things in the Bible, they're really not that true. You've misunderstood. And so we have a challenge to our daily faith brought to us by the one who lies to us. Verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. There's no depth. There's nothing that roots us to Christ. I love the way that this particular passage phrase that there's no root in himself. Why might that be? I used to live in West Texas, and about that far under the soil is basically hard stuff, hard pan, whatever you want to call it. Same thing in California, different places. It's just real hard solid soil or dirt. And, and, and Little Rock, I got about that much soil and then, and then everything's rocks. I don't know if it's the same thing over here with you guys. I mean, you know, that there's just a little bit of soil and if you don't put something in the right place, you're not going to get any roots, you're not going to get anything that's going to stick there. I love the way that this says it's in ourselves, in himself. What's in us? Sin is in us our sin nature, our rebellion. And it can be as hard as rock that we will not let go of. That we will say, I don't care what God says about that. It's important to me. It makes me feel good. A certain lifestyle or things that you do, some some habits perhaps. Your heart is a heart of stone. And it needs to become a heart of flesh. In this particular soil, there's a little bit of layer of dirt and then that hardened heart of stone is there and nothing takes root. We wrestle against ourselves. We have an adversary that lies to us. We have a heart of stone That won't let go of our sin, and in essence, we lie to ourselves. Our heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? So, as we are trying to believe right now in the things of God, sometimes our hearts won't let us do it. And then, verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. There are some people, I have known that The phrase I would use for them is that they used to be a Christian. That's not the most accurate phrase to use. Because later on in the Bible, John tells us they weren't really of us. That's why they left us. They weren't really genuinely believers. But they sure looked like it. And then something happened in life. Some disappointment. Some expectation about God was not met. Some other person let them down who claimed to be a Christian. You hear often that people don't, don't turn to the Christian faith because of Christians. Yes. <laughs> that makes sense. But you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking at the, how the world sees things. You're looking at how the world views People people will always let you down. Christians are not perfect on this earth. We are not perfect. Every one of us fails and fails miserably. I think it's funny. She's not here, so I'm talking about Hazel, right? No, I better not. No, I will, but don't tell her. (laughs) Sometimes we don't align ourselves on the same page. Have you ever had that with your spouse? And she'll say, all this other stuff about how much she loves me and how wonderful I am, she says much more than that tongue-in-cheek and then she'll say but (laughs) and she will always be able to say but because I cannot I will not I'm not capable of being perfect and I'm selfish and I'm lazy and I want my own way I can throw a good tantrum like anybody else. That's the nature of who we are. And we'll always be that way. But when the world, the challenges of the world come to us, it often reveals those things. The testing by fire brings things to the surface that are there. What Christians will do with those, Lord willing, is deal with them, acknowledge them, confess them... Surrender them and ask for forgiveness and try to grow more in the grace of God day by day. What someone like this person described in verse 22, the deceitfulness and the things of the world, the cares of the world, the thorny things of life are just too much. And they quit because it's too hard. The Christian life is not easy. We're in enemy territory. We're surrounded by an adversary who lies to us. Our own hearts are often deceiving us. And the world thinks that we're ridiculous in the things that we believe and teach and want as a part of our lives. And it's not easy. Easy. And so some people just quit. And so Paul, as he's writing to the Romans, is saying, don't quit. Stay strong. I also love from Mark chapter 9, I'll just paraphrase it for us. Bob's not here, I'm sorry to say, but I'm about at my 30-minute limit here. Time I went over again. Y'all understand. Um... Mark chapter 9, the, the story of the, the man who comes to Christ wanting, uh, whose, whose son is, having, um, is possessed and is falling into the fire. And the man comes and Jesus says, how long has this been going, uh, happening to him? And the man said from childhood. Uh, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can if you can jesus do something god if you can make a difference in life do it jesus wanted to highlight that that because he goes on to say all things are possible for one who believes So does he heal the son or not? He does. Not because that man's faith was perfect. Not because he came as other people did and said, God, you can do all things. Jesus, you're the son of the living God and all power and might and authority belong to you. Like the centurion, you don't have to come to my house. Just speak it and it happens. There are people who have faith like that, but there are other people like this who are saying, If you can, help. That's sufficient faith. Because he's going to the right source. And so I say all that to remind us that even in the exercise of our faith daily, even though it's imperfect, coming back to Romans 15, 13 now, continuing with my paraphrase, Paul's wish or Paul's prayer is for us is that God... Who is the author and source and substance of hope? All hope is bound and located in Him. That God would fill us, and that verse, that word in the Greek means to the full, to the brim, and to overflowing. That the God who is the substance and the author of hope would fill us with all joy and peace in our believing. If I was going to be a preacher, I should have taken voice lessons on how to speak right. But instead, I just get all excited and I just strain my voice. That God would fill us to the full with all joy and peace, with all gladness. That word joy can also be understood as calm delight. I like that. That as we exercise our believing, Paul's prayer is, as we even as the father did for his son, I'm a little shaky on this, God. Even as Abram did back in Genesis, but God, you haven't really done it this way. I don't see how it's going to work. And then later on, Abram and Sarah laugh that Sarah's going to have a baby. <laughs> you know, no way. 90 years old? No, not going to happen. But thank you, God, you're know, you going to have to figure out something else. Maybe Ishmael and Hagar. No. So even in the face of the powerful presence of God, sometimes our knees are a little bit wobbly. But even in that wobbly faith, in that wobbly believing, God can fill us with a calm delight because we are choosing to believe God. Because we believe God. A calm delight and peace. One of my Greek dictionaries, this is a little bit lengthy defines the word this way. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever that is. That comes from God. That doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from me. But have you had those times when you are firmly believing, grasping on at least with a mustard seed, a dusting of a mustard seed of faith to the things that God has said in his word and there is a peace that passes all understanding. That's a gift, and a work of God. And so as we are about the ongoing practice or habit and lifestyle of believing, exercising our faith, right now, Paul's wish and prayer for us is that God, who is the author and source of our hope, would fill us to the overflowing with all joy, calm delight, and peace that passes all understanding so that in our practice, habit, lifestyle of believing... Because the Holy Spirit works in those things, joy and peace and believing, joy and peace in believing. The Holy Spirit works in those things, using them as conduits to give us an overabundance of hope, a superabundance of hope. Believing is no small thing. And I can join in Paul's prayer for you and for me that in the practice of believing, we may experience more of that joy and peace. I wanted to read again some of the words from the hymn in Christ Alone. Let them speak to your heart and your emotions. I'm one that thinks that Presbyterians need to be more emotional. And I'm not pastoring here, so I guess I can go ahead and say this. Oh, I'm probably not coming back after this. It's okay to raise your hands. I think it's okay to say amen. I think it's okay to say hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Because these things have power and they have meaning, and they have impact. Do you believe these words? If so, how does that impact you? Are they just words that go in one ear and out the other, and when you go out the door, well, that was cool. That sounded neat. But when you get in the car, everything breaks loose again. Are you going to let the joy and the peace that passes understanding, the calm delight that passes beyond what Christ, what we can bring up of ourselves, what Christ has done for us, mean something to you. So listen to these words. I don't have time to do all, I was going to do all four verses, but I'm I'm talking too long. So I'm just going to do the last two. There in the ground His body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then, bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave He arose again. And as He stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath. Praise God. And as Paul prayed for the Romans, I pray for you that you would be filled to the overflowing with all joy and peace in your believing. Let's bow. Lord God, we thank you for who you are and for what you have done, for your power. And Lord, that you... Call us and invite us and empower us to believe in you. But sometimes, Lord, it's very wobbly and very shaky. But that's okay with you. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. And truly bless us. As Paul wanted the blessing upon the Roman church. Bless us with all joy and peace in our believing. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.